The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven. We're your hosts, Ashley Wright-Eiler and Joel Sharpton, and this is The Articulate Coven. Ashley, Ashley... This episode was so wow. fantastic. <laughs> I love. Really okay, was. so this is our our first episode from someone else's perspective. Man, and doesn't that open? Well, first of all, we're going to dive right into spoilers. I think because it, at this point, uh, you should know whether or not you're watching this show, and don't listen to us before you watch the episode. I'm, I'm just <laughs> going to go had, there. It was very good. Yeah, at this point, we both we can't enjoyed contain the episode ourselves. largely. Yeah, we have some nits to pick, but we need to just get to it. Um, Man, okay, so I think the the way that they did this narrative, and there's one other thing that I'll just go ahead and say. You and I talked about it, I think, earlier in the week off air. I started, I just started, like maybe even finished the first chapter um, of Pandora. I started my reread because that's the next one that we're going to get to after The Witching Hour. I'm so excited. It's very exciting. It is very exciting. But I was reminded that, all of the books, and I believe, actually, if we go back and check, I think Mimnock is is written from this perspective, too. All of the books after The Tale of the Body Thief, and definitely after Mimnock, all of those books are dictated to, or written in some shorthand, and then given to and edited by David Talbot. All the books, all the rest of the books in the series are edited by David Talbot, as told to David Talbot, etc., etc., by who, whichever vampire is mostly Lestat. We get a Marius book, we get a Pandora book, we get an Armand book, we get a Vittorio book, et cetera, et cetera. But all of it is like epistles to David Talbot, basically. And so knowing, and, and then at the end of this episode, we get the episode insider from Roland Jones, and he talks about how excited the writing uh, uh, room was to tackle a different voice. I boy, I'm going to eat my words and I'm going to sort of be mad a little bit if it happens that we don't actually get a Lestat series. I think I think we may just get different seasons or different arcs of this show from all the different vampires' points of view. And then that continues to be accurate that this is an interview with a vampire. It's just that... I mean, maybe the fans are right. There's a lot of speculation from the fandom that Daniel Malloy is going to be David Talbot in the in the books. And so we get Eric Bogosian for several seasons. They do the Tale of the Body Thief and Eric Bogosian gets retired and we get a we get a new younger <laughs> a new younger Daniel in a in a new young body that gets to be maybe vampire Daniel at that point. Um from then on. I don't know whether they're gonna do that exactly. But I mean, it would make sense. You could you could tell it to Daniel as long as he's there. Yeah, this episode was the first time that I got that vibe that oh shit, are they going to combine David and Daniel? And this was the first episode that I I really got that vibe. Not just that, because it's in my notes from from this episode. I for a just for a second, I thought to myself, what if they make Tale of the Body Thief Louis' story? Oh, I mm. wouldn't Louis be the one that you could talk into? Would I mean? Can't couldn't you at least make the argument in the writers' room that it would be more true to Louis's character to be talked into returning to mortal form? Oh, I I think that that is something that would be a bridge too far for a lot of people. As I, far as it would changes. certainly make me angry. It would certainly make me angry, at least in theory. But like I've said before, I'm giving this writers' room a lot of a lot of rope. Anyway, I saw some potential for where they could be going or what they're going to do in the future that I don't I don't love in theory. Let's see just how it plays out. And maybe we're wrong on our speculations too. But this is the, oh, yeah. the episode to me that broke it open, and it's like, oh, they might do they might do all sorts of things here based on the uh, the point of view shift. All right, so let's talk about our our leading lady. Our our third is finally here in the series, four episodes in, more than halfway through this first season, and yet, uh, you know, not just stole the whole show, literally stole perspective and the and the point of view narration from from uh, our leading man, Louis. What do you think about Claudia? What do you think about Bailey Bass? I think that the casting was was brilliant. Her performance is so fun. She's really, you know, everything about Claudia that that 
kind of loved and reveled in being a vampire because Claudia had a pretty good had a pretty good time, you know. She was very much like Lestat in a lot of ways as far as her habits and her and her, you know, her proclivities and preferences and things like that. And so I'm really excited that they're showing her and having that enthusiasm of, of her being like a young teen gives gives it even more energy than like a, a a little child, a small questioning child. I think that this just puts you in a in a better place, and and you, we don't have to take as long with a, her growing up part of the story. It doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be over as many decades when she's already on the brink of that anyway. Um, I don't love the accent, y'all. I don't love it. It makes me kind of uncomfortable, but. It did get a little bit better as it went along, or I stopped caring as much. Either way, I'm fine with it. I think, I think it's that second one. Honestly, I I thought the same thing too, Ashley. You know, on the on the rewatch, it, it bothered me less as I got near the end of the episode. The first time, it had bothered me less. Definitely by the time I was at the end of the episode, the second time, the accent was bothering me less. But at the same time, I'm like. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're just getting used to it. And overall, you do like her portrayal so much. I also think this, and I honestly, I may go this week sometime and watch some clips and skip back and forth to compare. I think this accent sticks out as as particularly bad only in a show that so far has done accents so well. Yeah. Uh, I think if you, I think if Bailey's portrayal of Claudia here was in like the third season of True Blood, I think we would think, ah, she's at least as good as (laughs) half the cast. Absolutely. And better than most of them, you know? A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. Like, And I I do think that part of it is that she's just really charming. Like, her portrayal, her performance is so charming in a weird way that you just stop caring. You stop minding as much. And I'm sure they have people working with her on set. And I can only expect that that's going to get better as the season goes on. Well, and you would imagine definitely between seasons, theoretically, the 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 uh, transition, she spent a lot of time in character. They've perhaps honed in on exactly what they want from her. Here's the other thing, though, that just occurred to me, and this literally popped into my head as you were, were uh, saying that. I wonder if part of it is literally direction. We just talked about this whole point of view shift and, and the change in tone as we hear from you know, Claudia's words in the diaries uh, versus Louis as reported to Daniel, um, maybe she was even instructed, hey, look, Claudia's life is like a melodrama. Maybe it's about literally that for Claudia, this is a different show. You know, Lestat is in this period European drama. Uh, Louis is in <laughs> a, a jazz epic and, and Claudia is in you know, a, a 1940s soap opera sort of thing, kind of. Um, I don't know, but it's a lot. It's a lot. She's a lot. There's no doubt of that. And the, everybody is in on that. That is absolutely true to, to the book portrayal of Claudia. Claudia is... A lot. A killing machine among... Yeah, she's a lot. I do particularly love this sort of explanation or... I don't know what you want to call it. They make reference to... Being 14 years old, you know, Claudia is 14 years old when she's turned in the series. Um, she's constantly got the appetite and metabolism of a 14 year old and having a 14 year old. Yeah. Like a hungry, a teen that you can't keep full of food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know, the, the, I've got a 13 year old and a 14 year old boy myself. They are literally bottomless pits. You can, they can eat everything in the house and then they still go, well, do we have any of X or Y or Z? No, friend, there is no more. You, you've you got to not gorge yourself. You've eaten it all. Yeah, you <laughs> ate a man twice your size. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I loved her ferocity, and I, I like the idea that it's not just because she's necessarily evil or, or mal-made. She's literally stuck with this stew of hormones and, um, you know, her body in a state of change, except it's going to be that way eternally. Well, and right off the bat, she's experiencing so many new things for the very first time. She's in that room in their house. She thinks she's in heaven. 
because she's never been in a mm. room that nice. And so she's experiencing all of these crazy heightened things that especially as a young teen, you would be super cranked about like holy shit i'm rich now i've got a pretty outfit to wear <laughs> oh my god we get to go do x y and z you know like i've got we've got a car i'm seeing these two men in love for the first time they got a funny way of being nice to each other like she's just seeing so many things <laughs> so many new things for the first time and it's i was excited to kind of go through that with her i Loved, 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 and I think this is done on purpose. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hope that it's done on purpose. If it's not, it's a happy accident. I love the portrayals of Louis and Lestat in this episode, as seen through the eyes of Claudia. Yes. Louis is more kind, more human, more personable, uh, more straightforward and forthright than he's ever been in this series so far. He is, as someone said in the comments on our on our Facebook group, he's more he's the most Louis that he's ever been in this in this episode. And it occurred to me, really, the character of Louis in the books is only seen in the reflection of his love for Claudia and her love for him, and then Lestat's love for him. We we sort of get glimpses of it through Armand too, but the character the character of Louis himself is sort of a cipher. He's that he's that Eeyore of vampires that that we've referred to in the past. You know, here in the series, he's been given so much more agency and charisma and and you know joie de vivre, so to speak. Right. But here with Claudia, we see a lot of the real honest to God book Louis, and it's really nice to see. Likewise, this Lestat is more cruel. You know, more simple. Uh, he's less sympathetic and less charismatic here. He's rude in a way that he, he's right off the bat. So jealous. Yeah. Well, not just jealous, but like, again, callous in a way that he's not been, we've talked about how he misreads social cues, right? And he doesn't always do the right thing, but that's not what we see here. It seems to be purposeful. He twists the knife on Louis when Louis brings Claudia to be turned, he twists the knife on Claudia again and again in this episode. And, and to me, that is not actually what happened. It's that this Claudia has not resolved her feelings about Lestat in the way that this Louis clearly has, you know? Right. And we're looking at, too, like, I feel like in this episode, like, what you kind of touched on is that we're seeing these versions of these characters as Claudia saw them. We're seeing the version of them that is in her diaries. So everything that we're seeing, we saw in this episode that was through her, you know, narration, that's all her perspective. So it's really cool to see the nuance and the changes of the performances. Um, I love that they took the time to do that because it would have been so easy to just not, but to kind of amp up those qualities, you know, and to do it in such a, 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 a person, a, a, a specific and purposeful way, I think is just, is just awesome. And I think it probably should kind of give us a, a heads up on what we can expect in future, you know, future episodes, future seasons, no matter what direction we go in these episodes, we should expect to see these nuanced, nuanced changes in these performances as we go through, depending on the perspective we're seeing. Yes. Yes. I absolutely agree. A um, couple of things before we move too far into the episode. Uh, I loved, loved, loved the attack on the cop in city park. First of oh, all, it's so a beautiful great. location. Uh, it's was, was used very famously in um, with the mysterious case of Benjamin Button. And that the name of that movie, the, the Brad Pitt is a baby thing. Yes. Um, there's a, there's a there's a really good scene that's set in in city park there uh in that same i guess it's kind of like a like a greek uh you know building uh whatever ruin looking thing in the middle of the park there i guess too big for a gazebo i don't know what you would call that anyway that location yeah is used in a handful of movies and it rings very new orleans to me i you know, obviously there are clips of that attack in the trailers that we had seen before. I had not recognized it as City Park, though, so that was cool. The other thing I liked um, early there, and we've already talked about the scene between Louis and, and Claudia in the bayou a little bit, oh. but um, I loved, I loved the discussion about their romance, about Lestat and Louis's relationship. What's yeah. it like to love a man? And Louis 
first of all, doesn't dismiss her question, right? It doesn't come out of left field for her. She doesn't have any frame of reference for it. And they hadn't talked about it before. Okay, well, what is it like to love a man? And then he goes to describe it. It's like love, isn't it? It's just like love. It's the same thing. That's simple, really, when it comes down to it. Yeah, it's the same thing. I thought that was really beautiful. And also just like genuinely showed the connection that, that the two of them have. Now, Lestat and Claudia get a scene that is also about connection and bonding, but it's a very different kind of scene later in the episode. <laughs> but I, I did love that scene of them in the bayou, and it makes me think, um, again, it just it makes it ring true that these characters have the connection that we see uh, for them in the novels and the way you see later in the episode that Claudia still impacts Louis a great deal, you see why, I guess, in that scene in the bayou in particular. Yeah, there, you know, there, it definitely is, is taking the time to show how close they are. The fact that she feels comfortable enough to ask him some of these questions, I think, is also, you know, indicative of their closeness and, and, and the importance of that relationship. She sees him with such softness. He's always so, uh, like, smiling and gentle with her, kind of. <clears throat> and it's just, um, it's, it's just really, really nice to see her through his eyes. Wait, backwards. It's really nice to see him through her eyes. Yes, yeah. No, I knew what you meant. Well, but I feel like we get to see her through his eyes as well and with that scene between Louis and Daniel later. Um, you know, when, when Louis finally awakes because Mr. Point de Lac is resting today. Um, which by the way, let's talk about the fact I thought for a little while that we might not get any of Louis in the modern day in this episode, which I thought was going to be, you know, pretty, um, uh, pretty daring of them. They don't do that. We get a couple of scenes at the end with, uh, Louis and Daniel speaking directly. But before that we get a lot, we get a big dose of Rashid. Yes. What what do you think's going on? What do you think's going on with Ashley? I, I mean, I mean with Rashid Ashley. I you know I mean we 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 were kind of talking offline about it, and um, I think obviously he really stays out of the sun, doesn't he? You know, he's really careful about not getting into the sun. I had not considered it at all in previous episodes, but I really want to go back now and watch. I do too, like and see if that holds on... up. Yes. Does he never go into the sun? The other thing I noticed in this episode, he's, I mean, and again, I need to go back and check. I think he was wearing gloves every single time he appeared. Has he worn gloves in every episode so far? If so, I don't know. We're going to have that? to, we're going to have to go with, give this the sixth sense treatment. <laughs> go back so and see I, if that I will shit say this. Up. Right, right. We're not going to, um, we're not going to talk about the specifics until our Easter egg section at the end, in case you haven't read any of the books and you don't want to be spoiled. But there is a link in the show notes to uh, uh, a person on Twitter uh, at a underscore Savage Garden, a library of confusion is their uh, handle. Anyway, um, they found a Rashid character in the alphabetary, which is like the encyclopedia of, of vampires that Anne's assistant Beckett wrote several years ago. Uh, I have a copy of that book. Anyway, the link to that is going to be in the show notes if you want to go and check it out. And we're going to talk about it a little bit in the Easter egg section of this episode. But um, just from what we know in this episode, I think very much... We are meant to be speculating about him. We're meant to be wondering what his deal is. Daniel even types into his computer after he and Rashid have the interaction, what's his endgame? Meaning, what is Rashid's endgame? It was under like the Rashid section. So interesting, interesting stuff going on with him. I also want to call out the fact that Daniel specifically references, hey, when he talks about uh, Louis, he says Mr. Point de Lac, but he also says he serves a god. Um this episode, Rashid also referred to electronic mail inbox or something like that. <laughs> you know, very antiquated language. The combination yeah. of that and the fact that he didn't step out onto the balcony very much has us questioning, is he a vampire? And if so, exactly what part does he play? Who Who is it that he's serving? All of those to questions does are he belong? more and more for, for everybody. Yeah, exactly. To whom does he belong? That is the question there. Um but I do love the return of Louis, though, and the interaction that they have. The very first thing is he references her writing. Her writing is quite good. Guess what? 
because it came from the lady herself, most of it. Um, a, a ton of uh, Claudia's narration in this is directly from the Claudia diary sections of Queen of the Damned that Anne wrote herself. So I, that was snuck into the episode, I think. I have to say, uh, um, Claudia's diaries, were once I knew that those existed in this world, I was so, like, thirsty to get to read them. You know what I mean? Like, that's some serious content that I wanted to know what, how this happened from her perspective so much. I was like really dying for it because I loved that character so much in interview when I read it the first time in particular. And the fact that all of her diaries were laid out there and, and, and he could just pick each one up and read sections of it. It was so crazy to me. I was like, I want to sit in that room and read all those books, please. <laughs> well, I love that Rashid says, we suggest you start on the left and then leaves the room. Daniel immediately goes all the way to the right. Right. <laughs> and opens the diary, which by the way, my eyes were not good enough, but uh, I got Kelly to check, double check on my iPad. And she says the, uh, the date for that last diary when they open it uh, and the words at the top are, so we've arrived in Paris or at last we've arrived in Paris, something like that. It's 1945. Which confirms for us, Ashley, we're getting World War II vampires in season two. <laughs> yes. Well, there's that section where she reads, where he reads about uh, the the soldiers, their blood being really, what was it, sour or bitter or something. Yeah, the POW. She talks about yeah. the POW camp. So again, like we, oh, I mean, I, who knows how they're going to play this out? But they could literally have Louis and Claudia somehow like caught up in the wave of the American soldiers as they're liberating the concentration camps and, and marching through, you know, Europe after Hitler's defeat effectively. And anyway, there's a lot of really interesting ways they could go with that. And, and we get a confirmation there on, on sort of like our, when does this relationship timeline. change? Yeah, get... yeah. When does this relationship change? And when, when did they go to Europe and how much, yeah. How much time has passed? How much, um, I figure, I mean, I think we always figured we'd, we'd see the same, roughly the same passage of time with the whole thing. But it does, we're definitely on a sped up uh, timeline with the... Yeah, a little bit. Oh, so, and we get another reference to that, by the way. Um, Daniel, uh, when Louis comes back in, he says, how far did you make it? And Daniel says, 1923-ish, uh, Claudia's date with Charlie. And, you know, Louis's like, oh, yes. And That was uh, a rough night. So what that means is... <laughs> Boy, wasn't it though? And obviously like a turning point for their relationship too. But if you do the math there, so Louis was turned in 1910 and there were about six or seven years between him being turned and them buying the, uh, or, or excuse me, the end of that sequence of him running the fancy brothel and everything and the fires, that's about seven years in. So then Claudia, at the point of her date with Charlie, has been with them for six years. So she would be 20 years old, in her mind at least, at that point. Yeah. Bless her heart. Which also means that by the time they get to Europe in 1945, that thruple would have been together for another, what is that? Uh, 12 years at that point. Mm -hmm. So, so effectively Charlie marks the halfway point for their relationship, that, that family there in new Orleans, it seems like. And we're roughly halfway through our season. So I think that might Kinda be about sense. where we get through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what did you think about Charlie and, and the way that that relationship <sighs> plays out very different? Obviously that character doesn't exist in the novels. And the, this relationship doesn't really exist as, as Claudia in the books is, I think, four or five supposed to be. In the movie, she was right. portrayed as 12. Yeah, I was heartbroken for her. Like, <laughs> I was so heartbroken for her. Because this is like the first, when she even says it, this is like the only boy I'll ever, I'll ever get to love like this, you know? And, um, and I was just really heartbroken for her. She, uh you know, something she had of her own. And, and I mean, of course she's the one that, that, that F's it up, but, um, Oh, it was just heartbreaking. She kills them on accident while they're, you know, having 
romantic time in the back of the the carriage and then Lestat makes her burn him and watch it was the worst oh. like I think we all had bad dates in high school and had to deal with parents that were kind of rough but shit I don't think anyone's dad made them watch their watch them made them burn their boyfriend and watch well you know what it reminded me of slightly it reminded me of like the dad that catches you smoking and so he makes you smoke the whole pack yeah sitting yeah. you know it, yeah it, only it, to this again, degree because this is where, the world we're in right 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 but well but when he's holding her there again that especially was the moment that to me was like oh this is so not like the i mean it's not Lestat has done some terrible things in the books, right? So if you go through and you and you cherry pick this moment or that moment, Lestat is capable of any atrocity, effectively. But but that moment seemed very out of character for me, based on what we've seen so far in the TV series. And again, that's a moment where I'm like, I think that's Claudia's version of exactly. I what do. Happened. Maybe but he I, did hold her there. I think he did it because I think he. But I think he did it probably to to teach her a lesson about what is going to happen again and again and again if you continue to try to have relationships with humans. You know, I think he's just trying to, in his stupid, bad parent way, trying to, like, show her, you know, like, look how bad this can be because, and you don't want to do this again. Like, trying to protect her in the most fucked up way. How many times in the books has Lestat had a relationship with a human that that ended up in either the human dying or the human becoming turned as a vampire. Or abs- or going absolutely I mean, fucking crazy. Or going like, mad. I mean, That's right. That's right, going mad. He's, he's sent a few of them to the nut house. I forgot. He That's just he leaves true. destruction in his wake, and he knows he does when it comes to his relationships with humans. And perhaps he's just trying to, very early in her vampiric life, nip that in the bud for her so she doesn't have to go through that like he has had to. So one of the things in this episode, and I sort of thought maybe they would only do it the once in the series and that I wouldn't have to pick, pick the nit, so to speak, but they did it again here. <laughs> Lestat, takes, Lestat takes Claudia out to Lover's Lane. Let's talk about that scene a little bit. But when he first gets there, uh, first of all, he lets her drive, which I thought was lovely. Yes, teach the so kid fun. how to drive. I thought that was, that was really cool. But they get there and he again refers to humans as meat. He says, the meat refer to this as a lover's lane. Right. And um, I've seen this called out by other fans before too. You know, Lestat at this point in the, in his story is only killing the evildoer in the books. He is not, he is occasionally callous with the way that he kills them. As Louis lays out earlier in this episode, Um, he likes to toy with his, his food sometimes. But what we find is, in the broader tale anyway, that the people that Lestat is killing are really bad people. They are, they're people that he has hunted and knows what they're capable of and what they've done, and he's not doing it callously. He's, he feels still that he's serving the greater good by ridding these people you know, of the earth. And yet here he calls them meat. I wonder, is this, is this just about the unreliable narrator thing? Is it that this Lestat is more cruel? Or are they hinting at Again, there's 150 years for this Lestat that basically doesn't happen in the books, or it happens later, you know, um, after he's met Louis and everything. They're right. not this far apart in age as, as they are uh, in the TV series. What could have happened to Lestat before he comes to America? I mean, is there a reason that, that we're sort of like hinting towards, do you think, that this Lestat has sort of given up on humanity? perhaps or maybe he's not there yet is that what they're getting maybe at he, or maybe he, they're not he's not there yet like at the place where he's like i'm gonna just kill the evildoer maybe he's not going oh, to you, that point so yet. you say maybe that maybe instead of like a marius thing uh you know effectively in the novels that's marius's explanation to him like hey how do you last the centuries one of the ways is you don't give yourself a guilty conscience because you only eat bad people you know and that that'll, that makes this whole thing go down easier um in you're saying in the series maybe that's Lestat gets that from Louis, not beforehand. That would be an interesting right, twist, maybe... I suppose. And also, it might deepen the connection for Lestat in that, like, hey, you've given me the answer to the centuries to to stop some of the hollowness, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I serve a purpose now, and he got that from Louis. I wouldn't hate that, I suppose. 
Yeah, and the other thing I think that if we're, you know, it's a nit to pick, obviously, but it's a it's a nitpick that also existed in the '94 film as well. You know, Lestat wasn't just mm. killing the evil doer in that movie. Well, but he says he does though. Uh, at some point, Lestat, uh, Tom Cruise's Lestat makes reference to. Mm, now I can't remember the line. I saw somebody talk. I saw somebody talk about this this week though that it was. It's sort of thrown a hat toss, but then it wasn't really followed through in the movie. It's one of those things. Right. It doesn't um, seem like that's the truth. I feel like that's a yeah, lie. it's not consistent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Several times now in this series, there's been a reference to not drinking dead blood. Yes. This is a thing in the novels, especially the first couple. But as the series goes on and kind of loses the thread on that particular, it's not such a big deal if you drink dead blood later on. Um, but in the movie version, especially, and I think this is true in an Interview with the Vampire, the novel. No, in the novel, the boys are drugged. drugged there are two yeah. boys offered to Lestat, right? In the novel, that's how, that's how Claudia gets him to sort of get him loopy. And... They're already dead. She says they're sleeping and they're already dead in the movie. That's why he's sort of weakened and she's able to attack him. I have thought that's what they were working towards here with, with these references. But in this episode in particular, when Claudia has killed Charlie, she leans back sort of satiated and she says, and I turn the captions on to make sure, I feel loose. Yeah. I, now, they were... They were they were necking. I don't think they were actually having sex. I think because Charlie's even telling her like you're very forward and and slow down a little bit. Wait for me. I don't think they were having sex. But is what what does she mean there? Does she just mean that she felt is she drunk there because she's been drinking his blood after he died? I don't I don't think so. I think it's more of just like she didn't realize she was drinking his blood. I, mm. I honestly think that was a hunt like that. She was so caught up in the moment and caught up in her passion. And it's that thing we've discussed before that like passion for these vampires, a lot of that has to do with the blood and not necessarily the naughty parts, you know? And so in this moment she gets caught up in, in her, in her passion and her excitement and she drains him and has no idea that that's what she's done until she sees him. Mm. That's... But you could totally be right that she's gone. She went a little too far because he says you didn't half kill him. <laughs> well, it just occurred to me that so. She, okay, so the episode as the episode ends, she's had to burn um, Charlie, and we get the final scene there with Louis and Daniel, and then it goes back to Claudia's words as Daniel begins to read again, and Claudia's having a manic episode in her coffin effectively after this moment as Louis and Lestat are fighting over her coffin, it sounds like, or just outside the room. And it, I, I don't know, it, it occurred to me as like one of those scenes in movies where you see a character take drugs and then have a traumatic experience, you know, I wondered if, oh yeah, if we weren't sort of meant to think one of the reasons why this all went so far and why she maybe has a turn after this episode and things perhaps, well, I mean, she says it even in the text, she says, uh, we got a phone call and the easy times ended or the happy times ended or whatever. Right. Um, maybe that is because literally like she's out of her gourd. She's been sort of drugged or duped or something by, or doped or something by this, dead blood. Anyway, I wondered if that was hinting, if that was what they were hinting towards. They didn't say it expressly. It's not referenced. It might not come up again. And there's been a few things about, you know, vampiric powers and vampiric lore that they've played a little fast and loose with so far in the series. So we'll see, we'll see how it turns out. But that was, I just had that thought. I wonder if she wasn't effectively drunk or, or drugged for the entire, you know, last scene of the episode, basically. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could totally see that. But to me, it just felt like, it felt like that. I am so stuck. I am, I, I am like it, just a real like manic, lost, frightened, horrified, accepting, denying, like just I. It felt like a real, real like uh, early twenties meltdown. <laughs> 
but also with the uh, with the added hell of being stuck in a fourteen year old's body with your same fourteen year old hormones while you're mentally and emotionally a twenty year old. That is some fucked yes. up shit. Like that's enough. Yes, that's well, enough to make me want to get into a coffin and throw a fit. Frankly, you know, like the idea of having to relive all that shit would be a nightmare. Um, oh, one of the things I the loved was her getting her own bedroom. I know that that's totally off topic right now, but I was like, get that girl her own bedroom so she doesn't have to listen to her dad's screw in the next coffin. Dude, do you know how bad I felt in that moment watching Claudia's face in that coffin for every time that I've like, like we've gone camping and I've screwed in a tent when my kids are in the next tent, for instance. <laughs> I'm like, have I scarred my children? Like, their house isn't that big. Are they you are know, they writing like, in their journals in bed? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I did have that moment. I've never had to look at any of their faces, obviously, while it was happening. So that was that was a moment for me as a parent. Um, but yes, you know, I love that moment when she gets her own room. The the moment at the end of the episode, and I didn't think about this the first time that I watched it, but on rewatch, the moment when she self harms, she puts her arm into the sunlight. Which, by the way, I was not a big fan of the idea of these sunlights. Um, uh, the, the you know the keyhole. Uh, what are, what are those called? Skylights. I was not a big right. fan of the skylights when the series started. They've played so well though in the series, and I really actually like how they work. I'm I'm hopeful that that kind of continues, honestly. Um, but that moment when she puts her arm into the sunlight, it occurred to me that it was very similar in tone and feel and um, the way that it was played, even to the moment in the 94 movie when Claudia cuts her hair off. She has this realization that she's never going to have a woman's body. That's the moment in the movie. She sees a beautiful woman and she says, when will I have breasts like those? And and Tom says, never, my dear, you're you're always going to be this. And she just freaks the fuck out. And so she runs into her bedroom. She's yelling and screaming. She runs into her bedroom. She cuts off all her hair. And then immediately it regrows because that's the way it did in the movies. That's not the way that it works in the books, but then fine. That was the way they wanted to play it here. You get that same moment. That's a moment of self harm. I mean, that's every time you see that in a movie, somebody chops off all their hair. It's effectively a cry for help. And often right before they try to commit suicide or something, this is that for Claudia. She's having that moment where I'm not in control of anything. This, I can't change this body. I'm locked in it like a prison. I'm locked with these two idiots who I love and hate in equal degrees and well I can control this can I I'll burn the shit out of my arm and what will they say about it they're gonna hate it you know yeah it's like getting a tattoo except (laughs) worse (laughs) well it's just very you know and and it's I think self-harm is something that we've we've really started talking about in the the past you know 10-15 years a lot more um you know when when you need, you have that need to to harm yourself so that you feel in control of something or that you can feel something if you've dissociated mm. really hard, you know, it's just, um, I, I think that I, I'm really glad that, I mean, I'm not glad that our, our Claudia is having to go through this, but I'm, I, it's nice to see, you know, things like that being portrayed in a pretty honest way, even in this very kind of fictitious world that we're dealing with here. Yes, it's a, a perfect example again of how the writers are taking the opportunity of you know vampirism and and these supernatural themes to discuss real world issues and real world concerns and like which is the whole point of of the horror genre right and and you know the fantasy genre it's about being able to explore our own problems and issues and concerns and and thoughts and queries at a remove, so to speak, you know, well, it's not about the rent. It's about getting the ring to Mount doom. (laughs) Absolutely. And you can, you can kind of confront your own fears and see them, you know, see them, see them resolved in a way, good, bad, or ugly in, in, in genre films and genre shows and things like that. I think that's why we're so drawn to them. I think that's one of the reasons why true crime has become such a big thing. You know, it's like, you can, you can kind of, face your fears it, to a certain degree. I wonder if next episode is also going to be from Claudia's diaries or if it's largely going to be a return to Louis as narrator and, and kind of filling the, in the, the gaps. Interview style that we've, yeah. Oh, we haven't talked about Louis's mama. 
Oh no! Yes, very good point. That was the that was the impetus for the end of the of the Happy Nights. I forgot. Yes, right. Um, so so Ray Don Chong uh, has uh, performed her last as Mama Dulac. Um, R.I.P. Mama. She passes away. Indeed, indeed, excellent performance, uh, and uh, glad to have had her on the show. So uh, that causes Louis and uh, his his family, his young family, to attend the funeral services, or excuse me, the wake actually, because the funeral is going to be during the day, and Louis can't make it, as he tells <laughs> Levi and, uh, and Grace. Yeah, he, he can't make it. Um, I thought the scene was really good. I also love the fact that Louis did not like enter and immediately say hello to Grace at all. It was it was Claudia that got the introduction first, and there's this weird spooky girl standing over the body that, that Grace and Levy approach and wonder where, <laughs> yeah. where this little girl came from. Uh, who who your mama and daddy? <laughs> oh, I just loved at the end of the scene where uh, when Louis Louis pop, I mean when Lestat pops up with her and is like Claudia has expressed a desire to go home. And she says the smell is awful. <laughs> I'm just thinking about dead bodies in New Orleans in the damn summertime with no air conditioning. Jesus Christ! Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you know it was ripe in there. I mean, that's the reason. Well, especially why if you're a vampire. My God. Oh yeah, but no, I, for sure. Especially uh, when, again, when you can't drink from the dead, right? So they probably, literally, like disgust them. You would imagine, right? I was. It, I. It, it's hard to see this very kind of angry, harsh side of Louis. The way he behaves with with Grace now. Um, he brings up. Uh, you remember what I did to that door? What they want is for him to sign over his his side of the house to them, or his his half of their mother's estate. And it's so strange to me that he doesn't. That he's like, he won't just do it. You have so much money, you don't need that. Why would you not just do that for them? It's kind of a, a hard side of him. And I get that he's angry. I get that there's all that. Well, not just that, but you also have to, you, you have to remember the time period and the fact that he, he's executor of a, his father's estate, right? So his mother would have had nothing. Grace has nothing. Louis is in control of all of the Point du Lac money, all of the properties, et cetera, et cetera. So Mama dies. Grace and Levy might be out on the street, I think, is the worry that, that is there. Like if Louis wanted to say, this is my property and you've made it clear that I'm not welcome here. So guess what? You're not welcome there, actually. Go it's on, get. I think that was a little bit of, yeah, I think that was a little bit of concern that Louis was going to edge them out completely, whereas... And Grace, I think, makes a good argument. Louis has clearly not had anything to do with the family since right. that moment where he blew the doors down, right? He came he came home to pay his respects to his mother. Maybe he came home a little bit to rub it in his sister's face that he's still doing fine and, in fact, has this daughter that he knew would freak her the F out. Oh, so, yeah. Like, I, I think there was a little bit of, like, well, as someone who occasionally has a contentious relationship with his siblings, I can understand you want to throw an elbow once in a while. And I think that's what that was. However, as he walks away, what does he say? I'll, I'll sign the papers. I'll, right, you know, right. I'll have him write the papers up. Like he's going to give her her due. And I think largely he'll divest himself of the Point du Lac estate. But I think part of the reason he held on to it all this time is because he refused to remove himself from his human life. Yeah. Now, if we want to get a little glimpse into next week, I think the trailer for next week implies the answer to our previous question. What is the plantation moment that ends all of this? Why, why how is Louis really driven from public life? I, I think Claudia might be the reason why they're both driven from public life in New Orleans. <laughs> um, as we, as we sort of get a glimpse of in the trailer there. And I think this is that moment where Louis Honestly, even pre all of the things turning south with with Charlie and and Claudia's, you know, sort of meltdown, I think Louis feels it right here. That's the reason he's resigned as he walks away. He does make a threat effectively to Grace. You measure yourself. Don't look. I am still a vampire. Don't talk to me like that. Yeah. But also, I'm your brother. I love you. I'm going to give you the house. Bye. <laughs> you know. And I honestly would be surprised if we see Grace again. I don't think that, I think that was the end of it. I would too. I'd be very, very surprised. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't looked at IMDb to see how many episodes she's credited in, but I would guess the same yeah, thing. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. I, I, would, I mean, I can't, I, I don't think that there's more to mine there from that relationship. 
Yeah, I think he's effectively with this saying he's going to sign the papers. He's letting go of that side of, of himself. He's committed to his new family now, his his partner, his daughter, and now he's ready to let go of the old. Yes, yes, precisely. All right, Ashley, let's, uh, let's move with that. Since we've already started talking about the trailer, let's move into the Easter egg section. If you don't want to know uh, any speculation from us about uh, based on our knowledge of the books, what might be coming or, or some things that have come up in previous episodes or this episode that are going to be hinted about, then now is your time to bounce out. Enjoy episode uh, five, and we'll see you again next week. For those Absolutely. that are interested in a, little, in a little speculation, let's go into it. First and foremost, I saw this on Twitter earlier in the week, and I didn't retain the link. I apologize. Someone did the math on the comment from Lestat to Louis. In episode three, Lestat says, we'll be together 10,000 nights. 100,000. Someone did the math. 10,000 nights is 27 years. 1911 to 1938. What's going to happen in 1938, Louis? What's going to happen in 1938, Lestat? Uh, 10,000 nights might be prophetic, is all I'm saying. If you, That's if, awesome. Uh, particularly, particularly if you do the math on... Claudia's diaries, right? If they're in Paris by 1945, especially if we're going to actually get some of the travels uh, into Eastern Europe and other places, which I hope we do in season two, um, then yeah, 38 might be when this all goes south for real. So that will be, that will be very, very interesting. Uh, we already mentioned the 1945 reference from the diaries. So, so confirmation of the POWs reference as yeah. well. Confirmation on World War II vampires. Um, Oh, here's another reference from our Facebook group. Laura Phillips in the Facebook group said, did anyone see that AMC has made a personal website and a LinkedIn page for Daniel Malloy? I, I love might be this. too much into this. <laughs> I've seen this too. Uh, she says, I might, be, uh, I might be reading too much into this, but I noticed that his work history starts in 1981, while his first interview with Louis was in 1973. I'm wondering if those missing years might mean that we're going to get part of his story from the books that we assumed had been cut because they had aged up the character. What if he spent that decade, those lost eight years, as Armand's plaything? Oh, my goodness. I I hope so. I Number one, I always love when when any production goes this far to like create a fake website for you to go to or, um, or, you know, a phone number that you call that works. I love that shit so much. I can't help it. I just think it's so much fun. And I'm so glad that they've done it for Daniel. I think it's hilarious. But also I love that the, yes. the clues it gives us, obviously, when you're, when you know more, when you have, you know, more knowledge, obviously there's extra tricks and treats in there for you. But I think that it's fun for absolutely anybody to get to, to see those things. So there was, uh, there was one other thing that I think is relevant here that kind of leaked and went out this week. There is a YouTube clip from the actor who will be playing. And we've referenced this earlier. There is a young Daniel coming this season, uh, some sort of flashback. Uh, the actor who is playing young Daniel which, by the way, looks like Eric Bogosian's clone. It is insane how much they look alike. <laughs> um, but there's a clip from his audition tape that he sent for this role as young Daniel. The audio is really bad, and the video is pretty grainy quality. And if you can make out the audio of his dialogue and the dialogue from the scene partner that's, that's, that's testing him there in the audition or whatever... Um, I think it's very spoilery, so I didn't want to link to it directly. But if you're interested, if you just go to Twitter and Google young Daniel Malloy, or if you go to YouTube and search for this actor's name, I believe it'll probably come up then. Um, but it makes me think that we are going to get this story. And I do think there is a further connection in Daniel's past that's going to be played out eventually. The other thing that led me even more to, to believe this way uh, I happened to set my aunt up this weekend with AMC Plus so that she could watch I love watch that you did this early. for her. It turns out, by the way, Ashley, we had talked previously. I was going to get my aunt to explain to us what had been cut for the cable versions. She's not going to be helpful to us because she hasn't seen it yet on cable. For some reason, her DVR didn't record it. So she hasn't seen anything yet until um, last night. I, I set her up, and so she was going to watch the first episode. Well, good. She but deserves we the good stuff, together, Joel. She deserves the good stuff. Well, that's what I told the her. The uncut that's shit. That's what I told her, exactly. 
Yes, that's right. The the real uncut vampire shit. Um, so I I set it up for her and I said, hey, I want to. If you got a minute, let's just watch this for a second. And I showed her just the intro until Louis sort of giggles because he's been asked, uh, how long have you been dead? And, you know, he chuckles and it flashes to 1910 Louisiana, or New Orleans. And that's where we stopped. And so she just saw that intro. But it occurred to me for the first time. And now this will, that was the third time or the fourth time that I've seen the very beginning of that first episode. But as Louis, uh, uh, we're getting his letter uh, sort of written, read aloud by his him as we see Daniel make his way to um, to Dubai. Louis there says, "I've followed your achievements with you know much interest, both those professional and personally redemptive." And I I think that just rolled over me completely the first time. Maybe I thought it was a reference, perhaps, to his drug use. Right. I wonder if that is not a reference to the relationship with Armand kind of ruining his life. And listen, here's a thing that is, it's not my story to tell, so we're not going to talk about specifics, but Ashley, you and I know at least one person in common who led a very open gay lifestyle as a young man, had an incredibly intense and very bad breakup, and lived the rest of their life as a closeted man in a smaller community living sort of a very different lifestyle. I I knew a different person that had that exact same story happen to them uh, that that was from my hometown. That a person that I grew up working with in the the theater world. Anyway, I'm saying it's not unheard of (laughs) for a person to have a life altering relationship and for them to spend the next several decades trying to find a resolution for that by sort of denying who they are. And I wonder if that's not, if he's like, well, the only, you know, and, and what Louis was referring there was the, maybe the birth of his children. The fact that Daniel had had children showing he's moved on. He's got relationships. He's formed, he's trying to have a life, you know, I anyway, I just wonder all of that soup was in my head this week. I'd seen young Daniel. There's several references in this episode that sort of make me think there's more to this. And then having seen that, watching it with my aunt. uh, Yeah. I think we're going to get young Daniel's story. Maybe even a lot of it. Maybe, maybe we're going to get Armand episodes next season while we're meeting Armand in the, I don't know how that would work exactly. Anyway, I think I think there's more to it, and I think we're going to get that story. So the people who, including me, who worried if Daniel was being white was straight washed, I, I don't think he is. I, I hope so is. because I loved I, I love this character. Yeah, yeah, and that would give it that definitely would kind of explain the direction that they've gone in with the character, you know. And that does make that does make sense, especially considering how fucked up his relationship with Armand was. I mean, I, I mean, you want to talk about an abusive relationship. You oh. want to talk about a missed, balanced, you know, fundamentally toxic relationship. Yeah, Daniel and so- Armand. And I know a lot of people ship them sort of, but like that's effed up, man. That is messed up in a big way. Yeah. I and mean, I think their relationship grows and changes obviously over time, just like all of our, all of our characters do because they're, you know, alive for, for, you know, centuries. But I think that, yeah, it's just that that was really hard pill for me to swallow with Armand. I've I loved Armand um in the first, you know, the first couple of books. And then that happened and I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. Like I was really put off by it. That was one of the more more despicable things I think Armand has done to any anyone. And that list is long, honey. That list is real <laughs> long. I love someone in our group was like, Oh, I thought this might be the year I could read Armand would not hate his guts. And it's not. <laughs> I feel the same way sometimes. But I love to hate him and I hate to love him. Oh. Indeed. Indeed. All right, let's get to our uh let's get to our Rashid discussion. We mentioned this a little bit in the episode proper, but now that we're in Easter eggs, so the alphabetary reference, if you go and look up Rashid in the uh alphabetary from Beckett, um so the vampire Eudoxia was hundreds of years old before she meets the young Rashid shortly after the founding of Constantinople. So Rashid is 
a thousand years old plus, uh, a very, very old vampire in the books. Um, Eudoxia turns Rashid into a vampire, and then she welcomes him into her home full of vampire slaves. The two of them have a fairly long life. There's another fledgling named Asper. The three of them are kind of the trio. They, they have a whole story together. All of these vampires appear in the novel Blood and Gold, which is Marius' story uh, from his own perspective, so to speak. But that, that uh, trio, Eudoxia, Asper, and uh, uh, Rashid, they eventually discover that Marius has the, the mother and father, Akasha and Inkle. And Eudoxia had drank from Akasha previously. She approaches Marius to let her do so again. He says no. And they're like, well, fuck this dude. We'll just take him. Except Marius is a real badass from the novels. I don't know if you're aware of this. And so he ends up killing uh, Rashid and uh, he burns him completely to ashes uh, with the fire gift in the books. So that's the only place where Rashid appears in the novels. I think I that do remember that now. The... Now that you're reading that, I totally remember that now. Wow. Right? Well, and it's one of those things that's, I mean, a lot of shit happens in Marius's story. It's a, it's a very long story, right? So there's, and to me, there are more interesting characters. Well, and you get his story in like three different books too, you know, like we, we. Right. Yeah. You get, you get him telling it to Lestat and then you get him telling it to Armand and then you get him telling it to, you know, theoretically to David. Um, But anyway, I wonder if, first of all, I think it absolutely is true that Rashid's a vampire in the in the series. I think it is very likely that he's tied to Akasha and Inkle, probably tied to Marius as well. Whether that means this is Armand's place or whether this is Marius's place, is Dubai, is this tower in Dubai where they're keeping Akasha and Inkle still? Is this post-Queen of the Damned? Is it pre-Queen of the Damned? I don't know. But I we think that know. those things are definitely connected. I think those things are yeah. definitely connected. I, I think this is brilliant, though, on the part of the, the showrunners in that here's an example of a very minor character from the books, only appears in one book, one of the lesser known ones, and yet they can give him a broader story that is still you know, connected to his character in the novels or maybe even the very true to his character in the novels, if not true to his actual storyline in the novels. Um and yet also keep us as viewers largely in the dark unless we go and do, you know, some, some super sleuthing. Right. Or even if it's just a, even if it's just a, a, a like, we're, we're using this name to let you know that, you know, we're in the know. We know these characters. We know these stories. We've done our research. So here's a little nugget. Even if it's never really, you know, fully fleshed out, then here's this little delicious nugget for you to enjoy. But I, I agree. There's, it seems unlikely that they just did it on a happy accident. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think this is just a coincidence. They clearly at least picked the name because of the minor character in the, in the uh, novels, which makes me think probably uh, his portrayal here is going to have something to do with, with those who must be kept, which is very exciting to me because again, that is that whole, like the history of the vampires, you know, and especially the way that we get that story of the first brood, from Macari yeah. and Cayman and, and those old ones. I I am so hopeful that we get all of that in this TV series. And the combination of, you know, Claudia's voice in this episode and these hints with Rashid's character and everything that they're doing there makes me think that's where we're headed, folks. We're going to get some old-ass vampires and we're going to get them pretty soon, I think. I'm so excited. I really do. I really do want us to get to see that story. And I really, I think a lot of us, hey, Joel, you already came around. I'm on board now. A lot of us have have come around to the idea of the, the rock star version of Lestat. Um, so I just say, let's give it to us. Let's do this. Let's do this. I, I'm absolutely on board now. I've heard Sam sing. I've seen these two together. I've, I've seen the way that music plays into the series. I think it's going right. to be beautiful, especially especially if they've given us the story of Nicholas by that point, you know, this, this beautiful, passionate, charismatic violinist and the way that that permanently scars Lestat. I, yep. Yep. I want it. I want, I want well, my, and we may get those stories Lestat. at the same time. It. We may get that kind of, those stories might run in parallel. So there's so many, they, they, they can play with time in their storytelling, however they want. I mean, they've set that up already, you know, flashbacks, flash forwards, flash, Hopefully we don't go the lost way and have flash sideways, but I'll be along for the ride no matter what. 
Yeah, we don't need alternate dimensions in this in this universe. Thank you very no, much. No, I think we have, have enough to be going one, on with. <laughs> one consistent timeline. <laughs> quite yeah. so, quite so. Um, quickly, uh, Ashley, before we sign off today, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have found the show and shared the show. I've heard from a lot of people, oh, such and such gave it to me, or this person mentioned that, that they've been listening to an Anne Rice podcast, et cetera, et cetera. There are only a handful of shows now that are actually still in production about this show and this universe and these these stories. Um, we are very thankful to be among them. We're also very proud to say, I, I've, I've checked this to be sure, we're the only show that is coming out on Sundays that is about the episode that has dropped that Sunday on AMC+. Plus. So if you're a streamer, we're the only place that you can go right away and hey. get some feedback on what's going on. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. absolutely. We are your recap well, show, y'all. That's right, exactly. We're your recap show. And we're going to do the same thing when the Mayfair Witch series uh, premieres and whatever it's spinoffs or uh, just uh, second seasons, we'll do the same as this universe moves forward. Um, I, I do want to say again, thank you. The show's been a success, too. We are, I, I, mentioned, I shared this with you, Ashley, uh, yesterday or the day before. We are consistently in the top 100 in after shows not only in the U.S., but in the U.K. and Australia and Italy and France and <laughs> That's Canada. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, several, basically everywhere where you can get AMC reliably, I think, that's, people are, are into it there. So um, Thanks, thank guys. you, everybody who's listening. It's so much fun sharing this with you. It's so much fun hearing your feedback. And join the Facebook group if you want to talk to us more or at least tweet us. I know some people are not on Facebook for um, you know, uh, good, uh, healthy reasons. If you'd right, like to absolutely. Us, you Hello. Too. Um, so yeah, tweet us at unarticulate coven, but tell us what you're thinking about the show. Tell us about your fan theories and, and, uh, we'll be happy to share those or, or any news that crops up. Um, you've already been a big help to our discussions, uh, moving forward. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Ashley, any, any final thoughts on this episode? No, just, um, it was exciting to kind of, to, to get a taste of, of what seeing the show and the, the upcoming shows through different eyes and different voices is going to be like, I am really, really pumped about that. I've got to be really honest. Like I, I'm just, uh, I'm excited to see. That's one of my favorite things about the books is just all the different, seeing the stories from all the different perspectives. I like, I like that kind of, you know, storytelling trope. So I'm just, I'm just, as always really excited to be along for this ride. Um, I'm excited to see what comes next. Me too. Me too. Uh, what comes next is episode five, uh, where we get. Oh, we're halfway done, you know, guys. Maybe, maybe a little murder mystery. That's kind of what the trailer was giving me vibes of a little murder mystery, almost. Even though we know who committed the murders, um, right? So I'm, I'm excited to see how the uh, how the cop storyline plays out next week, as it looks like Claudia is going to get the family in a little bit of trouble. Especially since we're not supposed to eat cops. Right, right. You can't just eat all the cops, apparently. That's what daddies say. All right, folks. We'll be back uh, next week to talk about episode five of Interview with a Vampire from Anne Rice and AMC's Immortal Universe. Until then, we've been your hosts. Ashley Wright Eiler. I'm Joel Sharpton, and we are the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends.